Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. You know, here at Ministry Watch, we bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. Now, regular listeners of the program know that um, this month we began Ministry Watch Extra episodes, and we'll continue to do our regular Friday weekly roundup episodes. Those are the episodes that I co-host with Natasha Smith. But these Ministry Watch Extra episodes are a chance for us to go deep, you might say, with our editorial partners. And today, I'm pleased to welcome back to the program Paul Gladder. Uh, Paul was with us about a month ago. He's the editor in chief of Religion Unplugged and the director of the journalism program at the King's College in New York City. His journalism. Ex- experience includes a long tenure with the Wall Street Journal. Paul, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Warren. Well, you know, Paul, uh, August was a month of big religion stories that kind of spilled over into mainstream consciousness. I'm thinking in particular of the Jerry Falwell Jr. and Liberty University story. I think I saw that story on the CBS Evening News just about every night for a week, and it's not very often that <laughs> that, that happens. Uh, religion Unplugged had at least seven stories about Falwell and Liberty, and I think we had about that many as well. Now, I I don't want to dig into each individual story, Paul, that you and I did, but um, I did want to talk about how we covered that story. Did you ever get to the point that you thought, wait, I'm not sure I want another Falwell story? Was there some either, on the one hand, Falwell fatigue, as I began to call it, or did you just ever have a sense that um, it was getting too tabloidy and too salacious? Oh, it's a good question. Um, I don't think we overcovered the story. I'd say differently when the Instagram photo surfaced of Falwell, you know, bearing his his hairy uh, stomach there. Uh, <laughs> I think I-, I was wondering, what is this? Is this a story or is this just a bizarre, uh, you know, incident? But as we know, news sometimes uh, those kinds of things are a sign. It, it seemed it was chum in the water, uh, lack of judgment from Falwell Jr. Seem you know indicated well turned into deeper cracks and disenfranchisement between him and and the university that he he leads or led. So uh, it was disenfranchisement from his own name and his family dynasty. So I think it the way and because he this he and the school didn't really disclose they weren't transparent and he has had a history of a lot of uh, statements you know incendiary things that. Uh, didn't seem to stick really. I mean, I think uh, the media had to do its job and keep reporting. Uh, so I think it was important that both of our sites kept on that story and other other uh, outlets were, were reporting on it as well, frankly. I mean, and the other thing, you know, I guess I asked myself a question, Warren, you know, why is this a big story? Is it, It's not just because Falwell supported Trump. So it's not just a political story, but it's really about evangelical history and what his father Jerry Falwell Sr. built in a massive institution that Falwell Jr. helped build with a hundred, they claim as a hundred thousand students and more than a billion or whatever in buildings and endowments. So it's a real player and it's a really important story here in um, in American Protestant evangelicalism. And it's a story about uh, big themes, you know, like Lord Acton said, power tends to corrupt, absolute power corrupts absolutely. 
Well, you know, I think I, first of all, perfectly agree with you, completely agree with you, Paul. I, I, you know, I, the story felt in the beginning a little salacious. Uh, you know, uh, an Instagram photo, do you report on, you know, everything that moves on social media? And our answer to that question is no, we don't report on everything that moves in social media. But uh, as we dug into that story more and more, I think you're right that it really revealed some cracks. It, and, and, you know, the thing that was interesting to me, there were two things that were interesting to me about that story, Paul. And I just wondered if you'd kind of react to them. Number one is something that you've already mentioned is that this story really does deal with big themes. It deals with power and family legacy and dynasties that are being created. It, it's uh, There is the political angle to it that in some ways Jerry Falwell Jr., because he was so closely aligned to Donald Trump, that supporting Falwell in some ways became a proxy for supporting Trump and criticizing Falwell in some ways became a proxy for criticizing Trump. Uh, so there was all of that, and, and it became almost like a Greek tragedy, I guess, on the one hand. I guess that's really the point that I'm getting to. So, uh, And then the other side of it was just that theme that we see over and over again in um, – you know, whenever there's a fall, I've been doing investigative journalism of Christian ministries now for close to 20 years, and I see this often where competence will allow someone or an institution to grow. Uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., as you said, helped to build that online program. It was a fabulously lucrative program. Uh, he had real competence, but it was his character that couldn't keep up with his competence that um, ultimately created his downfall. Those two ideas um, really struck me about this story, and I'm wondering how you react to that, Paul. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you're hitting on the part two of hypocrisy, really, which is interesting in literature and in, you know, and in news. And um, uh, this element of, I mean, we, we talked to sources the authoritarianism and the sort of rules-based approach to students and staff and things that Liberty exercised, but then didn't apply to the leading couple. Uh, it was just astonishing. And that's, it's hypocrisy. It's embarrassing. It's a lack of character, as you suggest. And I think readers are interested in that. And, you know, it's unfortunate to see uh, maybe some secular people laughing at Falwell for the downfall that 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 reminded us of sort of televangelists from the 80s that had these epic downfalls but it's still important and you know truth matters and if liberty wants to remain an institution that that is growing and uh, educating young people i think it's important that the full story came out so the school can move forward with new leadership and uh you know good journalism holds power accountable it shines a light on abuses of power and blatant hypo hypocrisy like we saw both in Jerry Falwell Jr. and his wife, Becky, according to uh, a lot of the stories that have come out. You know, Paul, one of the things that you guys did, I think kind of a nice contribution, a unique contribution to the story, was an editorial that you ran by uh, Karen Swallow Pryor. Karen Swallow Pryor, a, a pretty well-known writer in the evangelical world, was on the faculty at Liberty University for many years before she recently moved away uh, to another institution. Um, how, how did that editorial come about? How did y'all come to get your hands on it? Yeah. Um, well, as the story was breaking, we were trying to cover the news of it and, and reach out to our sources on, uh, you know, alumni of, of uh, uh, Liberty, et cetera. And by the way, sometimes at a news organization like ours, I killed a, a column I was writing myself because I realized, you know what, 
I don't want to be piling on or finding humor in this situation. This is serious and it's, you know, but so then I started thinking, who can we ask to write an essay who's sort of in the know and has a very interesting, something interesting to say? And so I thought of Karen, I reached out to her on Twitter. I've appreciated her writing in the past, Warren. I see her as a very principled and thoughtful person. Um, for those who don't know her, she was a superstar English faculty member at Liberty with a large national following on Twitter and, and other places. So she had left uh, Liberty a year or so ago, partly because of some of the issues I think that we are now seeing. And so to me, she seemed like a perfect person to help us make sense of the fall of, well, fall well, right? <laughs> so, or this saga of Liberty. Yep. And um, if you want, we could I could read a couple paragraphs of what she wrote that I thought. Sure. Hit, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think she really hit the nail on the head. She writes, I don't marvel at the depravity or licentiousness of any one individual. After all, I believe the orthodox Christian doctrines about humanity's sinful nature, but I find it inexplicable that a body of people legally, ethically, and morally responsible for the health of an institution, no matter how large or how small, would for so long, whether by acts of omission or commission, allow to run rampant a leader who has brought shame time and time again to their own institution. As a conservative evangelical and one who recently left Liberty University after 21 years of teaching there, I understand the conflicted, ambivalent relationship evangelicalism has and has had for 300 years with institutional authority. Evangelicals establish institutions with as much experience and finesse as a seventh grade boy at a school dance. And <laughs> That last line was got quoted on Twitter a lot, and this piece has done, you know, went kind of viral for us. And, um, you know, I think I, I read it because I think it fits with some of what you do at Ministry Watch, which is by reporting on institutions, trying to actually realizing that reporting and accountability create stronger institutions in the long run, right? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I mean, we do not report on evangelical institutions, and I know you don't either, to tear them down, but rather to build them up, to create the possibility of restoration and repentance and uh, and uh, a, a way forward. And uh, so, yeah, I really appreciated what you guys did and what Karen wrote there. And I, I get, you know, Paul also is journalist. Um, uh, I have been chastised so many times by reality uh, whenever I try to predict the future. Uh, I, I've, I have discovered that it is much better for me to report on the recent past than to try to predict the future. But um, that said, I, I do wonder whether liberty has fully learned its lesson, um, because it's pretty clear that, it's, that uh, as Karen said in the article that you quoted, as I wrote in an article um, for the Ministry Watch website called Where, is the, Where Was the Board? Um, it's more than just Jerry and Becky Falwell that's the problem here. I mean, a lot of people would have had to have turned a blind eye to their behavior for many years um, for us to get to where we are right now. Do you agree or not? Uh, I would say yes. Um, and, and I know there's a group out there we talked to named Point 71, uh, I believe they're called, that uh, you know is advocating that the school get back to its roots in 1971. Uh, or if that's the right name of the group, the, the year it started because it, um, you know, just to be focused on Christianity and solid academics rather than on politics so much. Um, I they uh, and there's also a move people asking to uh, for an investigation. I think that's moving forward. Let's see how. 
deep and thorough the investigation is. Because I, I wonder some things. I wonder, do they really have 100,000 students? I talked to one student from Peru, an alum, who's actually you know a very trustworthy person connected to a political, uh, one of the leading family Christian political leaders of Peru. And the son went to Liberty and told me when he was a student there, he and friends as a prank enrolled a dog, a canine dog, into Liberty University online, and it got accepted. So when I hear those kinds of things, I wonder what are the what are the practices in play here in growth? Where are where we getting full accurate information on some of these things? So from economics to uh, other decisions on the campus, I think we need to cut through the fog and understand more. Well, I guess the moral of that story is stay tuned. There will likely be more to come. Uh, Paul, I want to sort of pivot from our um, discussion of Jerry Falwell and talk about another story that uh, has been much in the news. I, I don't know. I don't know what's happened, by the way, on web traffic on the Religion Unplugged, but we had a record month on um, the Ministry Watch website in terms of web traffic, largely because of two stories. One was the Falwell story that we just mentioned, but the other was the John MacArthur and Grace uh, Community Church story out in California. I, I, I call those stories the gifts that keep on giving if you're a journalist or someone that runs a website like ours. Um, and I, even though I say it facetiously, this is another story like the Falwell story that really captured uh, the imagination of evangelicals around the country. You guys didn't cover this story quite as extensively as the Liberty story. I'm just wondering, um, you know, kind of how you guys approached that story and what was interesting to you about that story. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, we we did have a record month also this last month. So I wonder what's going on on the internet. If we're just all doing, if you and us are doing great journalism, uh, but you're right, we did not really dig into the John MacArthur story partly because we are a slow journalism movement site, and so far as we only we try to limit how many stories we cover. So I was keeping an eye on that one and the headlines, um, and we, you know, we just didn't have a great correspondent free at the time to go after that story. But I, th I think also you, you're onto something, which is that, and we missed it. So in a sense, we missed it. We had the one story, one of our reporters kind of updated a story that you guys ran and we republished, and we did, probably didn't get anywhere near the traffic you guys did. So congrats on your good work on there. But well, I just think a side note, interesting point here is, you know, I grew up, my dad was a pastor, and I grew up, you know, waking up in the morning and my parents would listen to John MacArthur's sermons in the 80s and the 90s, you know. So I'm familiar with with his name and his church and have visited there before. When, But I think younger, uh, we have a lot of younger writers and younger readers, I think, at our site. And <laughs> I hate to say this, but a lot of them don't know who John MacArthur is and don't care. Um, for some reason, he seems to be a figure more uh, appealing to older demographics in, in American Christendom. And I think another element is it's both an important story, but it's also kind of a inside baseball back and forth in the courts about COVID and religious freedom. And I think a lot of younger readers feel like, I hate to, I'll say this bluntly, I think they think he's being a knucklehead and uh, are, almost as if um, being too risky or denying COVID, that, that COVID exists and putting his parishioners at risk. So, I mean, again, that's why we did want a story on it but also maybe why we didn't cover the tar out of that story. 
Well, yeah, I mean, without making any judgments about whether what you just said is true or not, I don't think there's any denying the fact that this this issue has become polarized and politicized and that there's no doubt that even many Christians are uh, on both sides of of that issue. And so I really take your point and think it's a valid one. And I know that every time we wrote, we did cover this story a little bit more than you guys did. I think we probably had five, we've had five or six stories uh, about, about MacArthur over the last three or four weeks. And, uh, yeah, we would get, you know, <laughs> I it's like you you couldn't get this story right for some people. I mean, we'd write a story and I I would invariably get emails saying, you know, why are you so critical of John MacArthur? Uh, you know, John MacArthur's a hero. He's standing up for religious liberty against the, you know, tyrannical government. The exact same story would motivate the, an exact opposite response that, um, you know, why, why are you guys supporting John MacArthur so much? The guy's a knucklehead. He's an idiot. You know, he's, uh, uh, you know, he's a scourge on the evangelical church. And, and it's just remarkable how, um, how polarized we've, we became over that story, but also how polarized the country has become generally about, about COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes for, for good traffic. And and certainly I'm glad you guys are covering it because, I guess he and others raise a good point, which is if it's fine to gather thousands, 8,000 people in for protests, why not for church service? Why is there a double standard? You know, maybe he'll look like a genius or something for that. Yeah, type. I think that's a bit another part of it, too, is that, you know, uh, whatever side you sort of fall down on, um, it, it is important that we have a consistent standard. And, um, and I think a lot of people are frustrated by the fact that uh, that. There's just no sort of guiding principle for how we are approaching um, these kinds of issues anymore. It's a, it's in some ways, and every 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 man for himself, every person for himself, every or as the Bible would say, it, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, right? And um, it is frustrating. It's hard to know how to cover a story. It's hard to know what what the big ideas are on some of these stories. Um, and explore the big idea. And I think if, and you correct me, Paul, if I'm wrong, but I, I think the slow journalism, what you've, what you've called slow journalism, in some ways, I think that's what typifies it is that y'all care about the big ideas, not, not the, you know, the horse race, not what happens on a day-to-day basis, not the, you know, the, the, not what Justin Bieber had for breakfast in India this morning, but rather the, you know, the, the, bigger questions and the bigger issues, and it's harder and harder to figure out what they are. Uh, and we really need some guidance. I hope so. I think I think that's right. And, and that's why I think you're right that MacArthur is a big story because it's a test case on, on sort of law and religion right now during this time of COVID. So I appreciate, you know, we're, we should keep on it. <laughs> so. Paul, we've got to take a short break, but when we come back, I want to talk with you about the International Reporting Fund uh, that you guys have set up, what it is, and what you hope to accomplish. I'm Warren Smith, and this week my guest is Paul Gladder with Religion Unplugged, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. We'll be back right after the short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. 
That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Warren Smith with Ministry Watch, and my guest this week is Paul Gladder with Religion Unplugged. You know, Paul, one of the things that I admire about Religion Unplugged is your commitment to international coverage. Last month when you were on the program with me, we talked about uh, a story that you guys uh, covered, a specific story um, that um, I would refer everyone to our last month's episode to hear more about that. And y'all did a great job with that. We actually ended up reprinting that story. Uh, It's hard to do well, that kind of international coverage. It's expensive. Uh, And yet you guys have really put a stake in the ground regarding international religion coverage. Why? Why have you decided to do that? Yeah, well, part of our our parent nonprofit at Religion Unplugged is called the Media Project. And we have a network of like more than a thousand journalists all around the world. And when COVID's not happening, we're, we're traveling many times a year and meeting and training and spending time with these journalists and finding new journalists. And with that work, we see clearly basically two blind spots we're trying to correct. And, and frankly, they're opportunities. And so one of those is that, you know, pe- a lot of people think in the West that religion is declining uh, in Europe and North America. And, and, you know, partly that's true according to the data. But we know it's also not completely true that, you know, evangelical Protestants, for example, are still growing in many parts of the developed world, and frankly, more so in parts of the uh, developing world. So, uh, uh, and, and, you know, that's true of other faiths as well. So the world is becoming more religious, not less religious. And that, frankly, may be mind-blowing to, you know, the West and, and the secular sort of developed world, uh, or, to, or to secular people in the developed world, let's say. Religion is important to people. Breaking news, right? So, uh, so our thought at Religion Unplugged, we've got all these friends, these journalists in different parts of the world, and our sense is that we can learn a lot from them, with them, about why religion is important when we see how it's lived and practiced in Zimbabwe, India, Peru, and other places. It's even better if we learn about it from the voices, thoughts, and the words of the journalists who are from these places. I mean, a lot of times I read, you know, a lot of publications and, you know, I read great stories from from uh, uh, American journalists who travel to different places or who live in different places. But, and, and well, as good as those are, I do think they often miss some ideas, some colors, some nuances uh, that local reporters might see, especially on the topic of religion. And so, uh, uh, we have this great network, and we aim to to you know to find stories through that network and to help be a place where uh, these journalists can report. And so, uh, and look, if 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 you're a journalist working in India, uh, for example, uh, you know I've seen some people go to India as journalists and think it's just a big uh, economic story, for example. But if you don't understand religion is tied in with economics and politics and culture and every other part of Indian society, you're probably going to miss a lot about what India and its people are um, are about. And it's a huge liability to to miss it that badly. So, um, and I'd say that, so that's a blind spot we're working on is just better understanding of the world uh, for 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 readers uh, in, in the West and that, who, who may or may not be religious. So I think the other thing is... Um, uh, another blind spot when it comes to religion and religious readers is that sometimes when we're in a big country, it's easy just to see the world from our vantage point. And so, um, uh, you know, Western Christians, American Christians, it's easy for us to 
to, uh, let's just say it's empowering for us to see that Christianity is much bigger than American evangelicalism, that our intellect, I think our intellect, our faith is deep and more when we learn uh, how Christianity uh, has, goes across geographic boundaries and timelines. And I think younger people, I, I'm a college professor, I teach younger people, I see clearly that they're they're blown away when they start to understand that. And um, and I think it's important too for Christian people uh, to sort of broaden our understanding, get outside of our fiefdoms, and to also learn, I think in our moment, in our age, when we learn uh, how to have theological differences while maintaining respect and civility with Christians from other parts of Christendom, and also to maintain respect and civility uh, to people who are not of the same faith as us, I think it's. Uh, I think this is a time it's really important, especially for younger generations, to learn how to do that. Um, and so I, that's some of what we what I think we do at Religion Unplugged, and we already have some funding. Uh, well, I can tell you more about the the fund if uh, if you're interested in in more details of how it works. Absolutely, I do want you to talk to me about that, Paul, real briefly. The International Reporting Fund that you guys have set up. Um, is uh, a way to fund some of that international journalism. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So we already have, you know, some grant funding and we, uh, in our budget, we earmark some for, to pay freelancers from different parts of the world. And this year be, be, uh, with COVID, we're, we've expanded some of that funding because um, we're not able to travel and do some of our educational programs. So we've reallocated some of our budget lines to doing more journalism, which has been great. But um, we wanted to, we just created a tab on our, our website saying, you know, besides our, our our primary donors and supporters, we want to open this up. If you like our site and we get the sense more and more people are reading us and following us, which is great. And so we want to invite others to be part of it by sponsoring international uh, journalists to do this kind of work. So we're kind of new on on opening that uh, that page on our site. We welcome donors, and we welcome donors to give us their contact information because I'd love down the road. We're new. We're early on this, Warren, but down the road, I'd like to, if we have a, a meaningful list of donors and uh, donations to that fund, I want to stay in touch and showcase to those donors what what reporting we've been sponsoring. And we've got some great stories coming out soon from Nigeria, um, from India that uh, come from a, it takes, you know, we get lots of pitches all the time, but sometimes we get, we have certain journalists and certain ideas that are really powerful. And we got to spend a lot of time, like a couple months coaching, editing video, um, going back and forth with questions to help surface uh, the quality of work that we know uh, is there and, and possible from some of our international journalism friends. So we want more people to be part of it as donors, as readers, and as uh, champions for the idea. Well, Paul, we'll talk a little bit more about the International Reporting Fund at the end of the program. But before we get there, I'd like to pivot in our conversation and talk about a couple of stories on your site that in some ways, uh, you know, both prove some of the things that you've just said and also a saying that um, I'm fond of repeating, which is that every story is a religion story. Um, those stories on your site are, first, your interview with Justin Shank about his new book, Blood and Oil. Now, Justin is a Wall Street Journal reporter. And I'm wondering, did you know him uh, whenever you were working at the Wall Street Journal? Yeah, we're in this, Justin and I are in the same age range and we we're at the journal. Uh, I recall doing a couple of stories with him during the financial crisis a decade ago. Uh, we would see each other occasionally in New York or San Francisco. He, he covered tech. 
uh, in San Francisco for a while. So I, I saw on Facebook that he and another reporter named Bradley Hope uh, recently completed a book that's, you know, it's out, I think, uh, today, uh, uh, a book about Saudi Arabia and especially uh, the heir apparent there, Mohammed bin Salman. Well, and the book is called Blood and Oil. And and as you said, it's about Saudi Arabia. And it and the, the title suggests it's about blood and oil, which would maybe suggest um, war and geopolitics and uh, global economics and oil. Uh, but um, it's really at its heart, in many ways, a religion story, isn't it? Oh, it definitely is. And, you know, I asked Justin, I said, hey, does your book have touch on religion? He says, everything in Saudi Arabia touches on religion. Let's talk. Let's do the podcast. So, yeah, on, on, on the podcast conversation, Justin explains how, you know, the conservative Islamists, which are known as Wahhabis, uh, helped bring the House of Saud to power and the current monarchic line to power in, in, in the country. And so, and that that explains why the ruling class has to balance a delicately uh, that power and appease these conservative Muslim factions in the country. And um, at the same time, you know, they report on how Saudi Arabia wants to modernize and to keep up with United Arab Emirates and its mortal enemy, Iran. Uh, so it's got uh, the leadership there is sort of pulled apart. I mean, a couple of other, you know, quick strands about religion is, you know, we talked on the podcast of how the uh, Saudi Arabia being a Sunni Islam stronghold and historic place, you know, persecutes the Shia minorities um, uh, brutally in its country and, and other countries, and also doesn't really have a lot of tolerance for uh, behaviors from Muslims in its own country, but people from other faiths are not tolerated that well in the country. But to me, it's also interesting to think about this country. It functions a bit like Game of Thrones, the dynamic <laughs> between all the princes and the royals there and who's in control and who rules by fear. Uh, and who who is this new guy we call MBS, Mohammed bin Salman, who's the heir apparent and pretty ruthless and Machiavellian and a wild card as a leader. And I think it's going to be interesting, and the book is interesting, to figure out how is MBS going to thread the needle of governance, progress, and appeasing or, uh, you know, interacting with the conservative imams uh, down the road? Yeah. Well, the book is called Blood and Oil, and it, one of the co-authors is Justin Shank and uh, Paul Gladder, my guest today, interviewed Justin on the Religion Unplugged uh, podcast, which you can find by going to the Religion Unplugged website. And Paul, one more story before we kind of break up today. Um, and again, that kind of fits into this category of all stories or religion stories is uh, Dick Ostling's story on your site uh, on the so-called Free Thought Caucus in the U.S. Congress. And before we talk about that story, I, a, a lot of our listeners may not know who Richard Ostling is, Dick Ostling. Uh, he, in some ways, is kind of one of the reigning deans of religion journalism in this country. I guess, is he in his 80s now? Uh, good question. I, I, I can't recall how old uh, Dick is exactly. He's a he's in the neighboring town to me in New Jersey. All I'll say is, uh, you know, he's a he's young in his mind, a very intelligent and thoughtful man. And as you point out, he was a religion reporter at the Associated Press and Time magazine when Time was in its heyday with, you know, 10 million readers. So maybe younger readers don't remember his byline the way older readers do. But we're certainly proud to publish uh, a column he writes at our site um, because he's insightful. And, and, you know, one thing about Dick Osling is he, it's a testament to his careful thinking and disciplined way. But, you know, he cares about definitions and accuracy. He's a guy who reads a book a week has done so for quite some time. So I like that he brings that kind of thought and uh, uh, rigor 
and experience and knowledge to his column every week. No, I completely agree, Dick. As a hero of mine, a journalistic hero of mine, and over the years, even though we don't get to see each other very often, I would uh, now say I call him a friend as well. But but he, again, to sort of pivot down to the, or sort of circle down to the uh, story that he wrote, um, the Free Thought Caucus in the U.S. Congress, once again, kind of proves that uh, every story, even political stories, are at their core, at some level, a worldview or religion story. Yeah, yeah. This column, it, you know, gets into he he uh, looks at uh, various members of Congress, including Rashida Tlaib, uh, who's a Liberal Squad member and one of the uh, the first Palestinian American in Congress and one of the first uh, two Muslim women in the House. And he spotted that, uh, or he saw someone spotted that she quietly joined the Congressional Free Thought Caucus. So he, in this column, he unpacks what that might mean. And talks about other members of Congress who are part of this caucus. I mean, caucuses, it sounds like, are sort of these clubs uh, sort of, you know, on a topic uh, within Congress. So he sort of unpacks, you know, the religious implications of that particular caucus and others. And I think he's he's sort of batting around the idea. Um, and in a way, he, he what's funny about his column or interesting is he gives phone numbers and email addresses at the bottom in case other reporters would like to dig further. So, uh, uh, you know, it's a good little primer and starter piece on uh, this uh, sort of the religious associations happening within the halls of Congress and uh, uh, and, and how and why they're they're interesting. Well, that's uh, what you just said there, that he, the phone numbers and the email addresses are real act of generosity. A lot of reporters don't like to share their Rolodex, but uh, the fact that he does is uh, is pretty cool, if you ask me, um, you know. Paul, we've uh, got to bring our time to a close. Uh, let me just say that it's been really great to have you on the podcast again uh, back this month. But before we go, uh, what have you got in the pipeline? You mentioned some of the international coverage that you've got coming down the road. Uh, anything else uh, you want to mention? Uh, yeah, we're interested in the elections coming up and some looking at data. You know, I, I think with religion, you know, great stories are important and, and, um, uh, profiles, et cetera. But uh, I think data and history are really important. So we, we're going to try to look at the election with uh, some data lenses. We've got some good international stories coming up, including, uh, I'd say, a human rights special uh, feature story from Nigeria. And we're, we've are we got some some videos to go with it that are uh, we're, we're working on editing right now. So uh, and we also trying to continue covering COVID. It's hard to cover COVID because... Some of us don't like to keep reading about it, but I think it's, as we talked about earlier, the MacArthur story is important and figuring out churches and ministry leaders trying to figure out how to gather people together again is a, it's a, it's a story that I think we need to dig more into and, and we will be. And, um, uh, I'd say those are those are some of the things we're working on. Very good. Well, I look forward to seeing um, all of that stuff, especially the video. I know when you did your God and Guns story a couple of months ago, the video was um, on on those stories, and the sort of the great photography was a, a big part of what made those stories um, memorable. So, congratulations, uh, Paul, again on another great month at Religion Unplugged. To find out more about Religion Unplugged and the stories that we discussed today, you can go to religionunplugged.com, and of course, to find out more about Ministry Watch, you can go to ministrywatch.com. A couple of housekeeping items before we go. Um, one of the ways that you can support this program that doesn't cost you a dime is just to rate the podcast on your podcast app. Um, because of sort of the technological magic of the internet, the more ratings we have, uh, the more our podcast becomes visible to search engines. So it's something that just 
doesn't cost you a dime, really helps us out a lot. Uh, rate us on your podcast app. And by the way, you can also leave a message for me there as well. I can't respond via the podcast app, but I do uh, look at all of the um, messages that we get there, and I find them to be uh, sometimes challenging, sometimes encouraging, always interesting. So please leave me a message there, and I'll be uh, happy to get that. Uh, if you don't use the podcast app, maybe you're listening to it uh, via streaming service of some kind, or maybe on our own website, you can, as the kids say, kick it old school and just tell a friend about the podcast. That would be helpful to us as well. And as Paul mentioned earlier, both Religion Unplugged and Ministry Watch are donor-supported. You can um, give money, real live American dollars, to both of our organizations if you choose to do so. Go to religionunplugged.com and uh, the uh, religion fund that Paul mentioned, the International Reporting Religion Fund, uh, there's a banner at the top of his page for that. We have a donate button on the front page of the Ministry Watch site as well. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database technical and uh, editorial support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DeBerry, Christina Darnell, and Casey Suddeth. I'm Warren Smith, along with my co-host this month, Paul Gladder, and you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. <laughs>